0: welcome back ladies and gentlemen to the survivor girl podcast my name is alice aka the survivor girl and today i want to welcome a brand new guest the one and only rick to my show rick how are you today
1: hi alice i'm doing great how are you
0: i'm doing fabulous you guys Rick reached out to me, and he wanted to share his amazing story. And let me tell you guys, it is truly amazing. And after hearing it, I hope you guys will be just as amazed as I was. With that said, Rick, let's go ahead and get started. All right. So going back, what led you to the doctor initially? What was going on that had you concerned?
1: Well, this story started in 1994. So we're going back 30 years. That's quite quite a ways back. And at that time, I was a freshman in college and I had some unusual symptoms. My first semester of my freshman year in college, I started to get fatigued and run down. And then I had some lumps on my lymph nodes in my neck. My mom took me to the doctor and he diagnosed me with mono. And so at that point, my visit to the doctor was simply to try to figure out how to get over mono. From that point, I did what anyone would do with mono. You take bed rest, fluids, all that type of thing. And pretty soon the spring semester started and I went back to to college. I came back home for spring break, roughly eight weeks after that original doctor visit. My mom just happened to put her hands on my neck again and felt uh, a more hard lumps in my neck. And at that point she said, we need to get you to the doctor. And that was my first visit to the doctor where there, there was some concern.
0: So you go to the doctors and they've noticed these lumps. What type of cancer did you end up being diagnosed with?
1: Well, what ended up happening after I went to that original doctor's visit was I sat down on the table and there was a second doctor that came in and weighed in on it. And the next day I had a biopsy. Now, at age 19 in 1994, I did not know what a biopsy was. I didn't know what I was doing what it was for or what i was doing there i thought it was just the pro- i thought that was the entire procedure so the next day i had that biopsy and then i had a big bandage on my neck where they made the incision and the next day i went or you know a couple of days later i went back to school so i was in my dorm room you know roughly a week after that and you know the the incision was healing and everything and i didn't think anything of it and kind of forgot about it and there was a knock at my door and i opened the door and it was my parents and they surprised me. They drove four hours during the week. It was like a Tuesday or something. And they said, you have Hodgkin's disease. And that was when I first found out that I there was something wrong.
0: So at this point, what is happening and what was the process of treatment? What were you going to have to go through at that point?
1: So at this point, when they came and told me that I had Hodgkin's disease, the first thing I tried to do was research it. And so I called up a friend and she and I went to the library at, I went to a liberal arts college. And so there was really limited information on medical information at at my library. And this was before the internet or the ability to research things basically at your fingertips. So we went through and combed the entire library and couldn't find anything. About a week later, I went back to my home for tests and they decided that I was stage 2B Hodgkin's disease. I mean, some of the symptoms I had beyond the lumps in my neck were I had night sweats and that was really the big one. But, you know, you're young and and ignorant and you don't really understand what's happening to you. So at that point, they decided that the treatment for this would be radiation. And there was a hospital directly next to my college. So what I would do, what I did for the rest of the semester is I would wake up in the morning, I would go to my classes, then I would have lunch, then I would walk by myself over to the hospital and get radiation treatments. And when I was done with that, I would return to my dorm room, I would throw up, and at that point, I would you know, finish the night, I would study, maybe go to dinner and go to sleep if I could hold down the food. And so I, I did a lot of this alone. I fought that alone. So then what ended up happening was after 48 radiation treatments to the upper and lower mantle, my doctor determined that I was in the clear and there was no more cancer in my body. So about 18 months later, I started experiencing some unusual symptoms in my back. And I went back to the doctor this time. I went to the emergency room and they diagnosed it as, well, you slept funny or whatever, and they gave me some muscle relaxers. Well, nothing happened, and eventually after some persistence by my mom, the doctor agreed to do a a CT scan guided needle biopsy on my back. So I went in for that, and then for the second time, this time I had my parents call me with the results, the second time I heard, you have cancer. At this stage, I finished the semester, then I dropped out of college, and I completed about eight months of ABVD chemo following followed by another 22 radiation treatments to my back. And on July 31st, 1996, I was pronounced cancer-free, no evidence of disease. And I've been that way ever since, fortunately.
0: So how long was your full treatment process?
1: it was about two and a half to three years when you look at that so i mean but in the middle between the radiation and the relapse you know i had about 18 months of you know trying to recover from radiation and then came back and that's where that's where i had to go drop out and get chemo
0: what would you say was the most normal thing you wanted back during your treatment
1: well as a college student living in the dorms you're among hundreds of like-minded people people your age, doing the things that everybody does, going to class, going to parties, getting lunch, working out, all of those things. I just simply wanted that. I wanted normalcy. I wanted mediocrity. I wanted to be an average person. I didn't want to have to carry this burden around with me. I just wanted to get back to normal. And that's hard when you think about it. You know, you're in that environment and the peer pressure to just conform is is fairly high. And one thing I did not want to be was the cancer guy. So the first time that I was diagnosed, I didn't tell anybody. And I tried to just fit in and keep on going. But, you know, the radiation's really cumulatively took a toll on my body. I lost a lot of weight. The hair in the back of my head fell out from, I was radiated through the neck and, out, you know, out the back of your head. So at that point that you couldn't really fit in, you started to I started to look different. and People were questioning, well, why is your neck so burned? And so I came up with a an alibi that I went golfing and I got burned on the golf course. I forgot my sunscreen and people bought it. That was what I was going through. I just thirsted to just be average, just to be back in the group, not alone, and to be ordinary.
0: So how long was your healing process, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally? And what helped you the most to heal and get through everything?
1: As I was going through it at that age, I didn't realize the emotional and mental strain that it was causing me. For me, about 10 years, I couldn't even say the word cancer. I felt nauseated continuously, ashamed to walk around with you know, my bald chemo head. I felt bad about myself, and I wish I didn't. And the thing that helped me during that time in going through it was just I set my sights on graduating from college. That is the one thing that I looked in the future that I really wanted to achieve was to get a college degree because I knew that I had the skills and the, the aptitude to, to get it. And so I just continuously thought about it and it still makes me so, you know, burning mad that I had to have that held in the balance over health. And eventually I got it. During the time of treatments, what helped me was setting my sights forward and just getting to the next day. I'm going to make it to tomorrow. I'm going to make it until tomorrow. And then as as the treatments kept going, I just wanted to check another treatment off the list. You know, I made a list of all my radiations, all of my chemos, and I just wanted to get to the next one. I remember the last chemotherapy that I had, I felt like kind of sick, like I had a cold or something. And you know, when you get a cold and you get post nasal drip, you know how it makes your voice sound kind of funny or scratchy or whatever. I was working so hard to try to cover that up because I didn't want the doctor to say, all right, we're going to wait an extra week and give this to you. I'm, I was going in there, come hell or high water, I'm getting that last chemo and, and I want to be done with it. That helped me get through it was just me. Make it one more day. Don't give up. Keep going. Get there. What's really challenging, and I bet you feel like this too, Alice, is after cancer is over, after your treatments are over, you don't have that structure anymore. You don't speak to your doctor regularly. And you're you're let back out into the world and you're kind of like, well, what do I do now? Right. And you're look, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're kind of like, where do I go now? And in in the 90s, there weren't podcasts like this to help, or there there wasn't a support group or a not-for-profit with counseling or anything. Cancer has changed so much for the better that way, and I'm glad to have been part of some of that. But in those days, I had to look within. And what I found in 1996, Lance Armstrong was diagnosed with cancer. And two years after he was diagnosed, he made his comeback and he started biking again. And when I saw Lance Armstrong biking, I didn't want to. I wanted to be Lance Armstrong. I didn't want to be like him. I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to fight for cancer in front of people, in front of Congress, and I wanted to be athletic. And I, I decided that the best thing for me was. I was very depressed. The best thing for me was to drop all of that kind of feeling and just start exercising and like going to my chemos every day and checking that off I started making exercise plans and just trying to do a little bit more and the first time I went out of my house I put on some shoes to go for a run I ran maybe 200 yards that's you know up and down of a football field and that was all I could do that was, I was totally exhausted. But but you know what? That got me going. And I just wanted to keep going. And I set my sights high. I just I wanted to try to do maybe a mile someday and maybe two miles. And then eventually I'm running a 5K and then a half marathon. And it was the more I worked on myself like that, the, wor- the more I worked on my body and my physical shape, I started to get back what cancer took from me, which was my, my health and my athletic ability. And so I started running, swimming, biking. Doing all those things that really helped me heal. And it wasn't just, you know, the doing it, which has a physical impact on your body. It was all that time spent training and thinking about it and processing it. And sometimes that means you're playing and replaying a scene over and over in your head. And eventually you get some resolution or some peace out of that. And that's what I found. And in doing some of the lengthier events that I've done, I've swam from Alcatraz to shore 12 different times. I've run the Boston Marathon. I've climbed Mount Rainier. Those are long, difficult things to do. It takes a lot of time to start and finish those things. But what I found was the training and the, the buildup to that and the intensity that I had to get to be able to begin one of those events was so helpful in healing that I took a lot of this anger and depression and pain out on the road on my body. And eventually I was able to pour it into those events. And then when I on, the, on a vent day, you know, when I was running or swimming, I felt so at peace that I had proven to myself that I earned my body back. And that is something that, you know, I had dreamed about for for so long and worried I was never going to get there.
0: So saying that, what internally changed the most for you after treatment? Well, When you go
1: through it as a 19 to 21-year-old, your priorities at that time are pretty simple. You want to have a good friend group. You want to have a lot of fun. You're pushing your own boundaries. You're experimenting with drinking and partying and and other things. And I I did those things, you know, when I was that age. But then going through cancer, I realized, like, for example, for substances, I didn't want anything to do with that stuff. It's damaging. I saw that as if I was going to smoke or drink, it was just going to damage my body. Body, and I did not want to go back for chemo again because that is, as you know, that is such a, a harrowing experience. And you know, what changed inside of me was I just the the fear of having to do that because I made a decision that put me back there. That really changed in me. And then I think the other thing that really changed was my perception of the senses and emotions and how much more emotional and, and sensory that I was. Like I could feel different things or taste things and, and pick up details that I didn't pick up before. And when I was excited about something, I was much more excited excited to do things or if i was angry i would be even be more upset on the other side of this of the continuum and that element of just being able to live a much richer life that way had changed for me and that's one thing that i would like to teach others is that the the life that we have the physical properties that we have our physical gifts those change over our lifetime when we're younger we're athletic and you know we have youthful vigor and our bodies work so well and as we age that changes changes you know things break down you get different bumps and bruises here and there or your your joints don't work as well and your mind maybe slows down but you gain wisdom and experience so it's like your skills start to transform so what I would like to take away from this experience and teach others is that when you look at your life look at what skills you have today that you're really good at and lean into those because you might not have that skill five ten years from now and if you're waiting to do something with that skill whatever that might be, you may not be able to accomplish what you can today down the road. And then don't worry about what happens in the future. Something will backfill that skill and you'll be better at something else later than you are today. And you can tackle something then that you couldn't even hope to attempt now.
0: So what would you tell someone who is dealing with cancer currently? Or what would you say to a family member, a caregiver who is watching someone that they love battle cancer to help them get through it?
1: The first thing I'd say is it sucks. Cancer yes. cancer sucks, and I, I'd probably use more colorful language. It sucks. This is not a situation you deserve, asked, or have a reason to be in. It, it sucks. And accepting the fact, letting go of what if, letting go of why, letting go of those things that really turn my mind into a, a spin cycle during treatment, I think I would start there is let yourself off the hook. There is no rhyme or reason to have cancer. Unfortunately, it's just because and, and that's, that's the reason. And then the second thing that really helped me throughout my treatments was just get to the next day, get to tomorrow, check off another radiation, check off one more day. When's your next chemo, let's get to it. Keep going, keep moving forward, and put your sights on something outside of this process. What is that one big thing you wanna do? What is that one thing you wanna say? Is there anything you wanna repair while you're here? what needs fixing now not necessarily your body but maybe a relationship maybe something you said accidentally in the past and what's one thing that you must leave as a legacy whether that's giving something away or doing something what what are those things those are that's what i would say it all starts with just getting to one more day and keep going and don't ever take no for an answer period that that's my that's my advice
0: You gave tremendous advice. You guys, now you see why I wanted to bring Rick on. He has an incredible story. Thank you so much, Rick, for coming on. I appreciate having you on the podcast. And you guys, we will see you back here next time.